You're listening to episode 170 of the Voice in Canada podcast. Hey there, I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, one part physician, one part voice enthusiast, one big part Canadian, and one small part of our community, Northern Voice. Together, let's explore how voice technology is transforming our lives north of the border. And let's talk voice. Hello, Terry here, and welcome to this week's episode of the Voice in Canada podcast. Thanks so much for joining me uh, again this week. I have a really fascinating guy, Steve Keller, as the guest. We're going to get to all that in just a second. I do want to remind you, and I want to give a shout out to Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant for sponsoring The Voice Den. The next episode of The Voice Den is in two weeks' time, June 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. It's an opportunity for you to get a chance to chat with five of the voice fluencers and hang out and have a fun time. And by the way, Steve Keller, who is the uh, the guest on this week's episode, is one of the voice fluencers in two weeks time. So to save your seat for that, it's entirely free. You go to thevoiceden.com and anybody who attends that of course is invited to join us afterwards for the augmented reality spatial audio experience. It's basically like a big party and you get to walk around in in the voice den uh, in an AR space, it's pretty cool. So uh, thevoiceden.com is everything you need to know and all the information is right there. So let's get to today's interview. I am really excited to welcome Steve Keller. He is the Sonic Strategy Director for Studio Resonate and X, SXM Media. Um, fascinating areas of research that Steve is doing. He is looking at, well, a couple of different things that we get into in this podcast. He talks about sonic diversity, so the sound of diversity. What does it sound like to have a diverse sounding voice? And we also talk about the ability of voice and sound to, man, not manipulate isn't the right word, to uh effect to alter the way that we experience other senses. So can sound alter the way that you taste something or smell something? Um, and we talk about sonic uh, strategy, sonic branding, so much great stuff in this interview. So this is a recording of the live uh, episode of the Voice Fluencer show that I did with Steve. And uh, Steve is one of these guys that I met on Clubhouse, and I'm so thankful that I was on that platform to be able to meet people like Steve. So uh, without any further ado, let's get right to this interview. Uh, I want to welcome Steve Keller onto the podcast. Thanks, Terry. Happy to be here uh, chatting with you and everybody else that's listening. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, and yeah, I like this idea of my superpower being the power of sonic transformation that, that speaks to who I am and what I do. I love that. I love that. So along those lines, I'd love for you to give a little bit of introduction to who you are, what you do, and maybe I'll get you to tie in a little bit of that sonic transformation uh, concept in your introduction. Sure. If you can. Sure. So uh, I'm Sonic Strategy Director for Studio Resonate, which is an in-house creative consultancy for SXM Media. And SXM Media is uh, our kind of parent brand uh, where we work with uh, brand clients on the SiriusXM platform, Pandora platform, Stitcher platform. And we also represent the uh, North American advertising for SoundCloud. Uh, so everything that's platform related. My job as Sonic Strategy Director, because I often hear from folks, wow, that's a really cool title, but what the heck do you do, um, is, uh, is basically to blend sound science with sound art to help our clients make sound decisions. And that's where the alchemy piece comes from it. 
you know, in, in the Jungian sense, an, an alchemist was, was uh, a magician in a way, somebody that was able to take uh, something very ordinary and transform it into something wonderful and, and special. So for me, it, it is this idea of how do we take what we know about the science of sound, uh, blend that with what we know about sound from the perspective of art and creativity. Uh, and if you do it right, there's a little magic that, that comes out of that, that helps us think about you know, how we're using music and sound to shape perception, to influence behavior, uh, to uh, enhance experiences. And that's where my world gets really wild and interesting and, and wacky and goes off in all sorts of directions. And I've had the opportunity to hear some of uh, some of the stuff that you're working on on Clubhouse, and it's, it's incredible. Lots and lots of stuff. I love that, the blend of the, the science and the art. Um, as you may know, I'm a musician. I know that you are a musician. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like, what your background, how did you, like, get into music, and why does this interest you so much? Like, You know, it's, it's really the, the – I feel fortunate that I'm in a position – that's a convergence of pat the passions of the main passions in my life. Uh, and when I grew up as a kid, um, my parents bought me a, a Disney album called the great composers. Uh, and I was fascinated with the composers felt absolutely in love with Beethoven, uh, wanted to be Beethoven with the exception that I didn't want to lose my hearing, but uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to play the, the piano that way. So at six years old, I started taking piano lessons. Um, eventually, as I got older in junior high, I had a cousin who visited and was playing the guitar. I thought, oh, that's great. So taught myself how to play the guitar, started writing songs in high school, mainly because it was a great dating tool way to meet, <laughs> meet girls. Um, but I never thought about music as a career. Uh, I was really interested in, in psychology and human behavior, um, helping professions. So when I went to university, that's what I majored in. So I graduated with my degree in psychology. And the plan was to go off to grad school, work on a master's or PhD. Uh, but uh, music was always there in the background. Uh, and so I didn't really have an aha moment. I just gave myself permission to do something different. And I wound up heading to Nashville instead of heading wow. to grad school. Uh, and in Nashville, uh, you know, did, did a number of things, but, but my claim to fame that kind of broke me into the music scene was in the early 90s, uh, country music was exploding everywhere and people were showing up at these dance clubs and doing these country line dances. And eventually it grew into a thing where they weren't just country dance nights. They were actually country dance clubs. And there were DJs that started asking the country labels for extended mixes, for beat mixes, for these things that in country, nobody knew what to do with. And I happened to be a guy who knew how to do a dance remix. Uh, and I was one of two guys in Nashville at the time wow. that could do that. So I started getting uh, hired to do that and worked with you know artists like Tim McGraw and Neil Diamond and Leonard Skinner and Winona and, and uh, you know on the tail end of that I started doing music for for commercials and found that I really loved advertising and and branding not just doing music for commercials but the the discipline of advertising and marketing and it was in 2005 um, 
that I picked up a book um, that had been written by a guy by the name of Daniel Jackson, who was an early pioneer of Sonic Brand. And when I read this, um, that was my aha moment. It was this blend of psychology and research, music, sound, entertainment, advertising, and marketing. So started my own company in 2005, um, grew that to where uh, I had an office in um, Germany, doing a lot of uh, work in Europe, as well as work in the US. And uh, I eventually popped up on Pandora's radar, speaking at a conference, um, and they invited me to come to speak at Pandora. That led to other speaking engagements and then consulting on a few projects. And after a while, when we looked deep into each other's eyes, we decided it was a match <laughs> made in heaven, so we were gonna put a ring on it. Uh, and I actually closed my company, um, was hired uh, at the end of 2018, uh, moved out to Oakland, and. Uh, here I am now talking to you, you with are. tiny beers in front of me. <laughs> Little shot glass sized beers. We've been joking about that. That's fun. Uh, wonderful. That's really cool. I want to transition a little bit to now you've been involved with voice and, and diversity as well. And that's just so, mm -hmm. so you, you've got this incredible background now in, in, in the music world. And how did you sort of take that turn to get into the area of voice and diversity and those things that, that you know we've had the chance to talk about on, on Clubhouse. Sure. Sort of thing. Well, you know, as as you can imagine, as I dove deeper into Sonic Strategy um, and moved away from the world of production as much and more into consulting, uh, that actually drew me back into academia. So I started working with a lot of academics like Charles Spence, who's head of the Cross Modal Research Laboratory at Oxford. Daniel Muhlensiefen, who uh, heads up the Music, Mind, and Brain program at Goldsmiths University in London. Um, and in doing these research projects and looking more at how sound really does shape our perception and influence our, our behavior, uh, began to kind of get back into the psychology of things. And when COVID hit, uh, obviously the world is sounding a little different. Mm -hmm. I'm paying attention to that. Um, and uh, happened to catch a, an, uh, a, a YouTube video where uh, a guy by the name of Microsoft Sam spliced together all of these COVID commercials. And the title mm. of the YouTube video is every COVID-19 commercial is exactly the same. Huh. And, and it, it just, it looked the same, it sounded the same. It was funny how, you know, 70 some brands, all of these things fit together. A couple of months later, there was the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And so confronted with that, thinking about that, and then noticing um, the response from uh, brands and advertisers to the Black Lives Matter movement, started looking at those ads. And obviously there was some similarity to COVID ads in terms of the, the seriousness of, of the topic and, and the discourse. But one of the interesting things for me is noticing the difference in the voices. So in the Black Lives Matter ads, you had uh, black voices that you were hearing, black talent, mm -hmm. black individuals, as you would expect given that topic. But when I looked at the COVID ads, the interesting thing to me was as I went through and started tabulating the voices in this montage, 90% of those voices were white. And here we've got a pandemic that in the US was affecting 
bl the black population three times as much as the white population. Huh. So why am I only hearing white voices? Which then got me thinking about maybe we're just defining the general market from a sonic perspective as white. And by extension, the voice of America as white. So huh. again, kind of the psychology background for me kicked in. Um, I had read a book a couple of years ago uh, by, by an author by the name of Jennifer Lynn Stover called The Sonic Color Line, where she kind of traces this idea of race as a sonic construct, not just a visual or a textual construct. And as I looked at the, the history, particularly of radio and ways in which black voices had been marginalized and then seeing that in our industry and even in the development of newer technology, you know, we're talking about voice, AI, voice recognition, you know, and seeing that there's kind of a discrimination where the error rate for black voices is much higher than white voices. So we launched an initiative um, from Studio Resonate called Stand for Sonic Diversity, and listeners can find it at standforsonicdiversity.com, uh, where we're tasking advertisers and brands to really look at their voiceover rosters, their casting practices, um, and trying to get them to cross this sonic color line and bring us a more diverse world, not just from what we're seeing, but from what we're, we're hearing. Really interesting. And what a great, great initiative. You know, as you, as you were describing that, it made me start thinking, and have you thought at all about using Clubhouse as a source for research? Because it is so based on voice. Now you do have little pictures, little avatars, but it almost makes me wonder if there's things that you can do in rooms where you remove the pictures or have people change their pictures. And uh, anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yes. And, you know, it's interesting when I did the research and I started with a, a pretty uh, in-depth um, literature review uh, and trying to look at how do we define the sound of a Black voice? Hmm. What makes a voice sound Black? And again, realizing that in voice, it's not just the speaker, it's the listener. And so there's this thing that uh, Jennifer Lynn Stover calls the listening ear, I call it racialized listening, um, in which I do believe we have othered voices in different ways. Because if you look at the, the literature, you find that, you know, biologically, there's no reason why the voice of a black individual or a white individual would sound different. So what are we picking up on as listeners? Well, there's the, the first thing are dialectical cues. Sure. So if a black individual is uh, speaking with uh, African-American English or African-American vernacular English, we may pick up on some of those idioms, um, some of the pronunciations. But let's move that marker. So then what are we left with? Tamral markers. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, we would perceive voices that are uh, lower in pitch, um, more resonant, and a higher um, uh, harmonic noise ratio, which kind of is, is raspiness as a, a black sounding voice. But I'd contend that those timbral markers aren't coming from the voice of a person because they're black. 
we're hearing them as black. And that's why there are black speakers who sometimes are misattributed as being a white speaker because we're not picking up on the dialectical or the timbral cues. And so we, we, we end up stereotyping it as white as opposed to, to, to black. Um, and so Clubhouse, you know, it, it would be really interesting, you know, if everybody had the same um, uh, photo or, or let's just say a color, you know, if they were all white dots that we were looking at. My guess is that that would prime us. So if there was a voice that didn't have these cues, we might assume that it's white. Oh, interesting. Or yeah. if they're all black dots, that yeah. may prime us in another direction because our research has shown us that these primes are important. I also think that depending on how data collection is happening on Clubhouse, mm -hmm. they may be analyzing not just voice timbre or voice qualities, but speech patterns, rhythm patterns, um, volume patterns, and that these are things that also can be used to stereotype. I mean, Jennifer Stover in her work uh, talks about cop voice and the way that police actually will change the way they speak to a black individual. And it usually has to do with pitch, with um, tempo, um, and with loudness. Uh, so all these factors are at play sonically in in our racial discourses, but we don't think about them. So I'm concerned that if we're not careful with the technology as we build the algorithms, we may bake in some prejudice uh, you know, yeah. because we're listening to rooms in certain ways and identifying these conversations as black or white. But you know, what does that really mean? Um, what is it that we're baking into the algorithm? It is so fascinating. And this is, I know, just scratching the surface of of what we can what we can get into here is just remarkable it also we had we had a comment here from um lisa uh from clubhouse saying hello to uh oh, <laughs> saying hello to you us raised you, the bar i raised, <laughs> I raised the bar. uh lisa saying hello so hello lisa and it also made me think just as you were talking about how cops change the tone of their voice lisa's in the education space and it also makes me wonder just like not even necessarily when you racialized voice, but just having different voices for different roles, your teacher voice, your sure. whatever voice. Um, How do we talk to our kids? How do right. we talk to our pets? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, these, are, these are all really natural, but they're also socialized. And, you know, bringing it back to race, race is a social construct. You know, it's how have we built that, that construct? And you can look at how you know, in terms of gentrification and the the terms of the do, the dominant culture, you know, what would it mean to succeed? Uh, and and you can look at at movies like Black Klansman or Sorry to Bother You, where the storylines of those movies are, you know, the black heroes that succeed because they are able to sound white. Hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's all really interesting. And I feel like I'm just scratching the surface and also have to point out that, you know, the, the obvious fact that I'm white and as a white cisgender heterosexual male, mm -hmm. I'm at the top of the privileged food chain. Mm -hmm. And so this mm -hmm. work for me, um, has been personal. Um, it's been humbling 
And it's also required me to think about my own listening habits. Sure. You know, and, and where do I need to be aware of, of prejudices that exist? This is fascinating. We're definitely going to have to, uh, I hope we have the opportunity to dive into this a little bit more on Monday when you're going to be joining me on Clubhouse. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I do want to be respectful of your time. And I know there's another area that I just want to touch on here so people can get a little sure. taste of, taste of you know, what's going on in your mind with regards to this. And that is how other senses affect the way that we hear things, whether it's vision of colors or taste. And I'd love to get maybe a little bit of a, it's going to be hard to do this, but an overview, a snapshot of what you're sure. thinking in, in, that, in that sort of area. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, try to be brief. I'm more aware of your time trying to keep it to 30 minutes. I've got, en you know, enough buffer on the <laughs> other side of this. Wonderful. But, but essentially, I think um, I'll, I'll start by giving the context. Um, most people uh, have heard of synesthesia. And synesthesia is a is a condition where you know your brain is literally cross-wired. So uh, sensory input from one sense triggers the sensory um, response of another. So I may um, see a color uh, and I may smell it, or I may hear a sound and that may generate a shape or a color or in some individuals, a scent. So this phenomenon also occurs in those of us who are non-synesthetes in a very natural way. And that's what we call cross-modalism. And that's built on the idea that we literally make sense of the world around us, understand reality through sensory input. And our senses are so intertwined that if we understand how that works, we can literally hack one sense with another. So mm -hmm. think about it this way, even in our language, if I describe something, I may say, oh, that sounds sweet. So I'm mm -hmm. using a taste word for a sound word, but we know what that is, which is probably, it means it's gonna be high pitched, probably right. has some fast attack in things. Um, and if I were to say to a composer, um, hey, I'm working for a, a a coffee brand, it's a really uh, robust, rich, dark coffee. Huh. Probably without any more coaching than that, what I'm gonna hear back from the composer is something that's lower in pitch, maybe a little slower in tempo, maybe using some stringed instruments to right. get a little rosin in the bow. And that's all happening, happening nat naturally. If I show you two diagrams and one diagram has all these kind of rounded edges and another diagram has uh, sharp edges. And I'd say one of these is a booba and one of these is a kiki, which is which? Most people would say, well, the booba is the one with the round edges. The kiki right. obviously is the one with the sharp edges. Well, why is that? And, and so what our brain is doing is it's trying to look for congruencies. So knowing what that is, we can use, or use congruent associations or incongruent associations to change the perception. So bringing this into practical application, um, we found, you know, particularly in the area of taste and flavor, that sound really does have a, a huge impact on, on our perception. So, you know, we've been able to create soundscapes that will heighten your experience of sweetness or bitterness or spiciness. Um, I have a new paper coming out with Charles Spence and, uh, 
Janice Wang, who's another researcher uh, that I work with um, on uh, salty soundscapes, salty sounds, things that kind of enhance saltiness. And we, we see how sound impacts um, our dining experience in, in restaurants. So really loud, noisy environments uh, tends to cut the flavor. We tend to uh, eat faster and we can tend to consume more. So your sonic diet tip would be when you're eating, lower the volume of things, lower the light level, maybe put on some music that's a little slower and you'll tend to uh, stop eating sooner and, and have more of a sense of being full and it cuts your, your calorie intake. So, you know, these are just some of the ways that we can use these aspects. Think about it in, in the healthcare settings where maybe you have a diabetic patient needs to cut sw sweetness out of the diet. Well, maybe with soundscapes, we can put some of the sweetness back in. Or a, huh. a person on chronic treatment, like a chemotherapy person who most chemotherapy patients will tell you their senses get out of whack with, with the chemotherapy treatments. So could we use sound to offset some of that sensory experience as, as well as color or, or, or some other senses that may bring that back? But I think the idea of cross-modalism to me is more prevalent and rich in dining experiences because it is such a multi-experience, multi-sensory experience for us. We're usually just not cued in to everything that's going on in, in the world around us. And if we just change the soundscape or change the weight of the silverware or the color of the dinner uh, plate that we're eating off of, all of those things actually have an impact on our perception of how they're tasting on the flavor. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. There's like, there's so much there to unpack as well. There's like, we need, I feel like we need like 20 sessions here, but that's the beauty of being able to talk now and talk, uh, talk uh, in the future as well. Here is another comment from one of our listeners. And this is from uh, Dr. Rupal Patel. Love the idea of sound therapy, Steve. Uh, so I don't know if you have any comments about that comment, but that, that's wonderful. I love that, Rupal. I will, I will say, um, and uh, and Rupal, I know, I I know you. We're actually going to be on a on a panel, uh, and so uh, I'll send you uh, an article that Charles Spence and I uh, wrote that came out in the Journal of Music and Medicine about a year ago um, that looked at the use of music sound scapes and noise in hospital environments and the effect on not only patient outcomes, but patient satisfaction. So we looked at everything from the operating room to perioperative care, to death and dying, to nutrition, to multi-sensory aspects. And it was basically a, a, a massive literature review on the topic. So there's all kinds of, of research. And I think, you know, particularly here in the States, we could do a much better job uh, of, of sonically addressing what happens in, in health environments, particularly with noise. I mean, you know, you just think of the machines that are going off and people being traumatized by sound in a healthcare yes. environment. Uh, so there are people that are, you know, addressing that. In fact, uh, earlier this week on Clubhouse, that was, we had a had a conversation with um, Joe uh, Schlesinger, who's uh, at Vanderbilt uh, Medical University, 
He's working in this area. And Tom Middleton, who is a London DJ, who's now creating soundscapes for Calm, the Calm app, uh, and working on his master's at Goldsmiths. So there are, are people that are, are addressing this uh, and people that are much smarter than I am. Incredible. I feel like we have to have a follow-up session to this, Steve, at some, at some point, just to dive deeper into all of this stuff. So along those lines, uh, I am absolutely thrilled that you're going to be joining us as one of the voice fluencers for The Voice Dan. And one thing that I that I like to ask all the guests here on The Voice Fluencer Show is, you know, the format of, of The Voice Dan is people get to come and they ask you questions. And so um, what are the, th- and I, I'm sure we've got a taste of it just now, I'm sure, but what are the things that you love to have questions asked of you? about what are those topics that you left talk about? and i you know I, like i said i think we've got a taste of it here but go ahead yeah i i mean i think obviously in my work in marketing and advertising you know i'm always interested in you know talking about new and creative ways that we can use sound as part of brand experiences but the other part of my work really looks at what are there what are problems in the world that maybe we can find sonic solutions for. So I, you know, I call those the you know opportunities for sonic intervention. And um, we, you know, we've touched on that a little bit, talking about music and sound and in healthcare. But what are other ways? Um, you know, we're understanding the power of sound and the way uh, the chemicals in our brain react and interact with sound. You know, can we? encourage pro-social behavior? Could we encourage people to eat, to order things off of a menu that are that are more healthy for them uh, based on what might be playing in, in the environment? Can we look at noise in cities and, and cityscapes or look at issues like race? And is maybe a discussion around sound an interesting entry point that might help us have some really tough discussions hmm. just because we're, we're providing an interesting context that people haven't thought about. And it cuts through some of the filter and the biases that are built up, you know, that are already there when we're talking about it from a political or a visual uh, standpoint. So, you know, anything about perception, behavior, and ways that, you know, sound has transformed your life i love it That's the amazing. power of sonic transformation from the audio alchemist's mouth right there absolutely and here's somebody that's been listening in and lisa says steve your amazing insights are off the charts wow so that's a great Alex, comment to i appreciate finish that. off with wonderful steve where can people go to learn more about all the stuff that you're doing where would you direct them uh, well, as I said, if you're interested in what we're doing with the, um, the Sonic color line work, stanfordsonicdiversity.com, find me on LinkedIn. That's a great place. Uh, if you are on Twitter, uh, you can look for uh, audio alchemist underscore. Don't forget the underscore at the end. Um, Clubhouse audio alchemist. Um, or just Google me. I've even got a TEDx uh, talk out there that'll that will pop up, um, but you can reach out to me through any of those uh, those portals. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that interview. What a fascinating discussion. I, I love these discussions with Steve and I, and I certainly uh, hope to have more of those going forward in the future. Uh, you can 
join Steve and I at various times on Clubhouse and, of course, on The Voice Den, June 23rd uh, at 5 p.m. Pacific. So, Steve, thanks so much. Uh, again, thank you to our sponsors of The Voice Den, Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. Thanks to them. The, the show is entirely free, so I encourage you, the listener, to uh, please join us and have a chance to ask Steve some questions in real time. You just go to thevoiceden.com, thevoiceden.com. And again, uh, feel free to join us for the after party in the augmented reality space. So thank you. I uh, hope you enjoyed this interview. I certainly did. And I know that I'm going to be having more conversations with Steve going forward. And I hope you'll be part of those as well. So have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you again very soon. <laughs>